Good morning, everybody. And just as a reminder, the kids are dismissed right now to Children's Church. One other quick announcement. Tonight, in lieu of the uh, Missions Live event, we're going to be preempting the men's 6 p.m. study group. So if you normally come to that, please come to the Missions Live event tonight with CB uh, at 6.30. Now, be very, very careful when you decide that you're going to rescue kittens that you find out in the middle of the wilderness. A woman in San Antonio found out the hard way appearances can be misleading. She rescued what appeared to be two abandoned kittens that she found when she was hiking one time. She's a passionate animal care activist. She wanted to bring them home and, and nurse them back to health, but when she found that she gave them the bottle of milk, they immediately destroyed it. They ripped it to shreds. She got a lot of nasty scratches along the way, and she started wondering if these were innocent kittens like she had thought they were. She made a call to animal control, and they found out that these were bobcats. A spokesman for animal control said that uh, she commended her motives, wouldn't recommend similar actions in the future. She said, I think their hearts were in the right place, but we have to use our eyes and minds and make educated decisions. If you don't know something, ask somebody. There's a lot of resources out there. Things oftentimes may look innocent at first glance, but we'll quickly find they are not. Sin is the same way. Danger lurks in unexpected places. Adam and Eve thought it was just fruit they were eating. King David was just taking a stroll on his, on his fortress and that was when he saw Bathsheba. You know, oftentimes it just takes a glance at a, a man or a woman you may be seeing along the way. And the next thing you know, you're entertaining lustful thoughts. Just wanting to look at your phone for a moment can turn into hours of wasted time. And this morning we'll read about a man who at once thought... He was doing a good thing. Maybe he had a heart for the poor, trying to follow a man named Jesus, but somewhere along the way, Judas was deceived. Don't know at what point it happened exactly. He had left his life just like everybody else had. He was following Christ like other people. Turned out he had a deep love for money and power, more than he'd realized. Satan is the master of making things look innocent and attractive, and then will use them as a snare against you. What I want to talk about this morning is, well, how do I resist Satan's schemes? How can I see them before they completely ensnare and take hold of me? And the passage I want to look at this morning comes from John chapter 13. John 13, we'll look at verses 18 through 30. I want to talk about this by examining one of the most tragic examples of one whom the Bible says was entered by Satan himself. If you would please stand with me for the reading of God's Word, John chapter 13, starting at verse 18. I'm not speaking of all of you, I know whom I have chosen, but the Scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I'm telling you this now before it takes place 
that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. After saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. The disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. One of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, was reclining at the table at Jesus' side. So Simon Peter motioned to him to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. So that disciple, leaning back against Jesus, said to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, It is he to whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. So when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Then after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered into him. Jesus said to him, what you are going to do, do quickly. Now, no one at the table knew why he said this to him. Some thought that because Judas had the money bag, Jesus was telling him, buy what we need for the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. So after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out, and it was night. You may be seated. We're continuing on this morning through the Gospel of John. Oftentimes, I've said it before, I keep saying it again because I think repetition is one of the keys to learning, that if you see the Gospel of John portrayed in stained glass windows, they'll use an eagle because historically the thought has been that the Gospel of John gives us high and lofty doctrines about Jesus Christ. And in the book itself, it states the reason the book was written. And once again, I'd like you to read this with me off the screen. And let's start by reading the reference together. Uh, John 20, verses 30 and 31. Therefore, many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Now, as we look at Judas and as we think about ourselves, because we want to learn from this man's mistakes, I think three important questions rise from the text that we can ask ourselves. First of all, what do you believe? Secondly, what are you hiding? And then third, what do you love? What do you believe? What are you hiding? And what do you love? So let's then go back to our text and I want to think about that first question, what do you believe? And Jesus, he's addressing all his disciples right now, including his betrayer. They're by themselves, they're in this upper room, about to have the last supper. And Jesus says this is going to be a fulfillment of Scripture, what's about to happen. Now he's looking back probably at Psalm 41, 9. It says, even my close friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. Now, this is David talking way back, probably about a thousand, a little more than a thousand years before this moment, about a friend named Ahithophel that had betrayed him. And Jesus is using that to say, this is the same thing. This is the foretelling of what's about to happen to me with Judas. And then verse 18, Jesus says, I know whom I have chosen. He's talking also about Judas. And he's not talking about those chosen for salvation. He's talking about choosing the one who would betray whom, who would lift up 
his heel against him. Now, there could be a few meanings of that phrase whenever, you know, lifting up the heel in the sense that Judas was walking away. Or it was very disrespectful to show the bottom of your foot to someone in Middle Eastern culture. In any case, Jesus is saying, this man is about to betray me. And in contrast to that in verse 20, he offers a strong affirmation. He said that when you receive one I have sent, you have received me. If you've received me, you've received the Father. This highlights how bad it was that Judas had rejected Christ. Because in doing that, he also rejected the Father. And, and all through this section, this is what's so ironic. All through this section, we see how much Jesus loves Judas. He shows a deep love. He's already washed Judas' feet, but then he's actually going to serve him again. Look down at verses 26 and 27. Jesus answered, It is he to whom I will give this morsel of bread <coughs> Excuse me, when I've dipped it. So when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Then after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered into him. Jesus said to him, what you are going to do, do it quickly. This is part of the Passover meal, and, and participants normally did this early on. The host would customarily dip a morsel of bread and meat to an, and then hand it to an honored guest. This is what Jesus is showing to Judas. He's still showing him honor. And then each person would be handed a piece of bread. So this picture that we usually think of as the Last Supper it's not exactly accurate. They were probably lying down. I doubt they were all sitting shoulder to shoulder like this. Probably more of a, a circle across from each other. Judas must have sat near enough to Jesus for him to hand this to him conveniently. Could have been that Jesus was, or Judas was uh, lying directly to Jesus' left. And if he did, he would have been in the place of an honored guest. So look at this. Judas is quite possibly in the place of honor right beside Jesus. And this is the betrayer, the schemer, and Jesus is showing incredible love and honor to him. As a matter of fact, the Gospel of Matthew 26:50, even at this very moment of betrayal, even at that moment when Judas comes to the, the Garden of Gethsemane, when he shows the soldier by whom he would kiss who they should take, Jesus refers to Judas as a friend. What does Jesus do? I'm sorry, what does Judas do? Judas rejects it all. And I believe, and, and others have suggested this, that everything Jesus is doing right now is to make a final appeal to Judas. To stop what he's doing, to believe, to confess but Judas is going to throw it all away. After that sweet appeal from Christ, you've got this tragic rejection of all the love that Jesus would have shown him. And it reminds me, back in West Virginia, um, they have a, they've got a big problem with opioids that leads to a lot of children being taken out of people's homes, that leads to a lot of orphans. And the children are going to age out of this program. When they do, and it's typically like on their 18th birthday, if there's no adoptive family, they end up at social services 
where people are waiting on them. And I'm not talking about the employees of social services. The pimps are waiting outside the building because they know that young women are about to age out of this program, and that's when they are most afraid, that's when they are most in need, and they sit out there like vultures, waiting. And it's those who don't end up in loving families, they're going to be the ones at the, at the mercy of these pimps, and, and Satan is looking to, for prostitutes to use like this. If he can find someone susceptible, he can get a hold of. And, and Judas, you could say he was adopted by the devil, but that's not really what happened. See, Satan more or less absorbed Judas. He doesn't adopt people in the sense that he loves them and wants to care for them. It's, it's the opposite. It's someone he can use, someone he can destroy. And Judas was absorbed by Satan. It wasn't because Christ hadn't made every effort, but because of his own rebellious heart. You see, Christ loves you. And the language the Scriptures use whenever you become part of the family is adoption. You are adopted into an infinitely loving family when you put your trust in Jesus Christ. I love the way uh, Keller puts this. He says, our adoption means... We are loved like Christ is loved. We are honored like He is honored, every one of us, no matter what. Your circumstances can't hinder or threaten that promise. In fact, your bad circumstances will only help you understand and even claim the beauty of that promise. The more you live out who you are in Christ, the more you become like Him in actuality. Scriptures don't promise you better life circumstances, rather a far better life. A promise of a life of, of, of greatness and, and joy and a humility and nobility. God is promising you a life that goes on forever. Do you believe that? Is anything stopping you right now from putting your trust in Jesus Christ? Now, I'm going to be up here after the service. If you've got any doubts about where you stand in terms of your adoption, now, right there in your seat, you can put your faith in Jesus Christ. Just, Jesus, I'm a sinner. I need your salvation. I'm putting my faith in you. I understand that you died on the cross to save me from my sin, and I'm trusting on you from here on out to save me. It's just a matter of you putting your faith and believing that Jesus is who he says he is. I'd love to talk to you about that after the service. If you've got any questions, if you're struggling with that. A second question you need to ask yourself, secondly, is what are you hiding? What are you hiding? We get into this next section, this passage, and things are not good with Jesus. Look at verse 21. After saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, Truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. When you get to verse 22, the next one indicates the disciples, they're surprised. They don't know who Jesus is talking about. Then it says in verse 24, Peter then, leave it to Peter, take in charge. Hey, disciple whom Jesus loves. By the way, that's probably a reference to John. It's not a prideful uh, statement that 
John's referring to himself as the one whom Jesus loves. He just understands Jesus loves me. That's where he finds his identity. Peter motions to him and said, hey, ask Jesus. I don't know how he motioned him. He's, you know, ask him, would you? I, this, is, this is uncomfortable. Who is this person? Jesus says, it's the one whom I will serve. And then I want to pick it back up. Look at verse 27. Then after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered into him. Jesus said to him, what are you going to do? What you are going to do, do quickly. Now, no one at the table knew why he said this to him. Some thought that because Jesus, Judas had the money bag, Jesus was telling him, buy what we need for the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. So after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out, and it was night. So Satan has now, as the text says, entered in. And instead of repenting, Judas has now steeled himself to this evil task. And, and this leads to the entrance of Satan. That literally means that Satan has taken up office in Judas, and he's now in control. Judas has surrendered himself to Satan. But, but notice the surprise of the disciples. Yet Judas was the group treasurer, the disciples implicitly trusted Judas, and they thought G Jesus was sending Judas out to buy more food or give something to the poor. But that was not the case. Now, this is terrifying. What does this mean? Judas was doing ministry right alongside every single one of those disciples. Think of him for this moment. He decided to follow Jesus. He heard Jesus teach. He went out two by two with the others, doing all the work they were doing with the sick, with the demon-possessed. He did a lot of disciple kinds of things, and yet the only thing we remember Judas for is this final act of betrayal, how it ended. See, it's so important. No matter what good you are doing for the kingdom today, how you end it is crucial how you exit this life is crucial. Judas carries this secret unbelief. Looks like the other guys. Talks like the other guys. He knows the lingo. But he's harboring secrets. He's so good at disguising it. Everybody except Jesus is fooled. Now, it would be interesting to talk to some of the ladies that were hanging out. Sometimes they pick up on this better than men do. But the disciples are fooled. Jesus told the disciples in the previous section, and we talked about it last week, that when you're bathed, you're bathed. It seems that all of them but Judas were bathed in that sense that they had received forgiveness of their sins. Jesus said, though, you still have to wash your feet. You still have to confess your sins. Daily, I have to confess sins. Pride, bitterness, just name a couple. Fear of man usually makes it on the list in a near daily basis. Maybe weekly. But this is what happens when we carry secret sin. Uh, and it holds a power over us. And normally, we are only as sick as our secrets. 
And many men struggle with a secret sin of, of pornography and it, to some degree, and maybe it's not all out addiction, but it affects men's lives and, and many men harbor guilt. I guarantee you there's someone who's feeling it in this room right now. And uh, just recently, as a matter of fact, I've been uh, approached by some ladies in our church uh, that want to get a, a group started for men for accountability. And we are working on finding some leaders to do that because we need more accountability groups for men. We have a group going on for ladies who have husbands who struggle with pornography. And if you're a lady and, and you're interested in that, you can contact uh, we'll be showing a Google number that you can call. It's completely anonymous. The number's anonymous. Uh, you will be kept anonymous. Secret sin always causes problems in our lives, and Satan will use it to compound guilt. We've sung about it this morning. But see, you can be totally forgiven from your sins. It's a, it reminds me of a story from the book called it's a forgiving god in an unforgiving world it talks about a, a priest it's a true story a priest in the philippines who was a loved man and but he carried this burden of a secret sin he committed it when he was back uh, in seminary many years before he'd repented but still didn't have peace he didn't uh, feel god's forgiveness and in his parish was a woman who was a, a deeply uh, who deeply loved god who, who claimed to have visions uh, in which she spoke with christ and he with her now i'm I'll say at the outset, I'm always cautious when somebody says, God told me that, and proceeds to say something that is not found anywhere in the Bible, okay? I don't suggest you use that statement. I mean, if you want to state your opinion, be very careful when you say, God told me such and such. I'm going to make that clear. And the priest was skeptical with her. But he wanted to test her. He said, the next time you speak with Christ, I want you to ask him what sin your priest committed when he was in seminary all those years ago. She said, okay. A few days later, he said, well, did Christ visit you in your dreams? She said, yes. Did you ask him what sin I committed in seminary? She said, yes. Well, what did he say? He said, I don't remember. Sam, did you know I was going to use that He even texted me earlier in the week and said, hey, what's your sermon time? And I didn't get back in time for him to actually choose the songs. Sam had no idea that I was going to say that today, which is also very fascinating. I love it when God shows up. Now, that does make me think there are many of us that are struggling with the forgiveness of our sins. That there's many of us here struggling here this morning with the truth that God truly does forget your sins when you have confessed your sins. It's forgotten. It's forgiven. As far as the east is from the west, it's at the bottom of the ocean. But Satan will keep a detailed list of your sins and use them against you every time he can because he wants to so confound you with guilt as to make you useless for the kingdom. By the way, that name literally means accuser. What are you hiding? What do you need to confess? And can you be transparent enough with someone in your life so they can show you that they will still love you in spite of whatever sin you're hiding? 
So what do you believe? What are you hiding? And finally, what do you love? What do you love? When we turn back to the text, we may ask the question, well, what did Judas love? What was he looking for? He'd been with Jesus a long time, and he, like the other disciples, had given up his life to follow Jesus. But why? We, at least in part, know that he was driven by money. If we look back at John 12, verse 6, he said, right after Christ had been anointed by extremely expensive perfumes, Judas spoke up and said, why are we wasting all this money on Jesus? We, should, we, could, we could use this for other purposes. In verse 6, he said he said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief and having charged the money bag, he used it to help himself to what was put into it. And then in Matthew's account of this event, right on the heels of Christ being anointed, Matthew wrote in 26, 14, and 15, Then one of the twelve, whose name was Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and said, what will you give me if I deliver him over to you? And they paid him 30 pieces of silver. Now, at this point, Judas had sold out. And some of us speculate, and I, and I think they're right, that Judas at this point realized Jesus wasn't going to do what he thought he was going to do. And like many of those who had greeted Jesus on Palm Sunday, Judas could have expected an immediate national salvation. The Romans would be overthrown. And he'd be on the winning side. As a matter of fact, uh, MacArthur wrote in his commentary that Judas hoped for Israel's political sovereignty, the good old days, like they were, Jesus. That's what he's going to bring back. But it did not look like that was going to happen. Instead, it looked like the Pharisees were about to win and the Romans were still in charge. And Judas decided, I'm casting my lot with the other side. He wanted what he thought would be an easier and more comfortable existence on, the, on this side of eternity. And tragically, he soon despaired even of this life and hanged himself. And we have to be able to recognize that the more we love earthly things, the temporary, what we see around us, the more it's going to break our hearts. And like those bobcats that I mentioned in the beginning... Satan works very hard at creating competition in this world for our heart's desires. And when I say hard, I'm talking about that very deep part of you. Uh, it, it's that place that more or less sets your agenda and decides what you're going to do day to day. It's going to decide who you're going to call. It's going to decide um, who you're going to uh, perhaps even forgive who you're going to be mad at. It's that part of you that gets really excited in anticipation of doing that thing that you love. We experience that in this place of emotion. It's called the heart. The Puritans called it the, our, our affections, where we feel joy and sadness. And only, only the perfect love of Jesus Christ is going to satisfy that part of you. No one loves like Jesus. There's this wonderful book by this man uh, named Dane Ortland. It's called Gentle and Lowly. That's how Jesus describes himself, gentle and lowly in heart. And if he were here today, I think he'd be the most approachable, approachable, attracting, not attractive. There's nothing in the scriptures really indicate him as being physically attractive, but he would be attracting people to himself. 
and you'd feel drawn to him. But in that book, Orland makes the point that Jesus does not love like you and I do. He says this, Jesus does not love like us. We love until we are betrayed. Jesus continued to the cross despite betrayal. We love until we are forsaken. Jesus loved through forsakenness. We love up to a limit. Jesus loves to the end. If you ever doubt that, just read this account of Judas. Look at how he treated him. So our love for Christ has to be primary above all else. And through prayer and, and waking up every single morning, starting with what it was Jesus did for you. Preaching the gospel. It starts up here, understanding what it was Jesus did, and let that seep its way down into the heart. That's where we have to start our days. That's where we have to end our days. With what Jesus did for you and I. And it's as you continue meditating on that, it will make its way down into your heart that you are totally loved and you are totally forgiven. And if you can think of life as a, as a wagon wheel, and with a wagon wheel, you've got all those spokes that lead out from a central hub. That hub's got to be the strongest part of the wheel. Christ has to be at the center of our lives. His kingdom has to be at the center for all the rest of our lives to work out as it should. You've got to keep kingdom matters at the very center. Putting this all together, trust Christ wholly, live life transparently, and love Christ primarily. Trust Him wholly, live transparently, confess. It's one of the reasons we've got the confession now at the beginning of our worship service. And then love Christ primarily. If all the things you love, he has to be at the very top or else everything else will get out of order. So how is Satan tempting you? What is it that he's whispering to you? Maybe he's saying to you, you know what? I've messed up and my life can't make a difference now. Or you know what? The work of Christ should be for the next generation. That, that shouldn't follow me. I, I've done my work. I, how is he tempting you? I want to close the, a story about a, it's a dear lady here in our church. Many of you know her. She's asked to remain anonymous, so I'll keep her anonymous. But she sparked up a friendship uh, with a woman that she's, uh, I think she met her uh, in, in tennis, and she and I were talking last week, and she was telling about a lady. She'd brought her here to church before. She had a Buddhist background, and, and this dear lady at our church has been spending a lot of time with her, and she brought her to church a few times, and she's been explaining to her what Christians believe, and, and just about a week or so ago, she explained it again, and this lady responded, yes, that's what I believe. And when I talked to her, and I, and I watched the faithfulness of her and her family, as a matter of fact, I just met uh, this dear lady's grandson this past week. He's about to go into the Navigator's. They pass their faith on from generation to generation. I think, here are some folks who never gave in to any lies of Satan. At least, it never kept them from doing God's work. Nobody's perfect, but I can hope that I can live my life and pass down my faith as well as they have. So don't harbor secret sins. Ask yourself what you love and trust 
Christ in everything, every part of your life. Please pray with me. Almighty God, there's so much that we can learn from your word, particularly even looking at the tragic life of Judas. And Lord Jesus, how you loved him and and how you sought him out to the very end, Lord, as a loving shepherd looking for a lost sheep. And Lord, I pray that we would walk closely to you, that we would be on the lookout for the schemes of Satan that are working against us, that we would trust you, Lord Jesus, holy in all things, that we would know that you are forgiving God and that we would confess our sins, Lord, and that we would love you, Jesus, above all and anything else. Give us strength as we go through the week. This is your precious name we pray. Amen.